Part three, chapter twelve of Life and Times of Frederick Douglass by Frederick Douglass. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part three, chapter twelve. Minister to Haiti. The part I bore in the matter of obtaining at the Moulay Santi Nicolas, a naval station for the United States, and the real cause for the failure of the enterprise, are made evident in the following articles from me, published in the North American Review, for September and October, 1891. I propose to make a plain statement regarding my connection with the late negotiations with the government of Haiti, for a United States naval station at the Molay Santi Nicolas. Such a statement seems required, not only as a personal vindication from undeserved censure, but as due to the truth of history. Recognizing my duty to be silent while the question of the Molay was pending, I refrained from making any formal reply to the many misstatements and misrepresentations which have burdened the public press unchallenged during the last six months. I have, however, long intended to correct some of the grosser errors contained in these misrepresentations, should the time ever come when I could do so without exposing myself to the charge of undue sensitiveness and without detriment to the public interest. That time has now come, and there is no ground of sentiment, reason, or propriety for a longer silence, especially since, through no fault of mine, the secrets of the negotiations in question have already been paraded before the public, apparently with no other purpose than to make me responsible for their failure. There are many reasons why I would be gladly excused from appearing before the public in the attitude of self-defence. But while there are times when such defence is a privilege to be exercised or omitted at the pleasure of the party assailed, there are other times and circumstances when it becomes a duty which cannot be omitted without the imputation of cowardice or of conscious guilt. This is especially true in a case where the charges vitally affect one's standing with the people and government of one's country. In such a case a man must defend himself, if only to demonstrate his fitness to defend anything else. In discharging this duty I shall acknowledge no favouritism to men in high places, no restraint but candour, and no limitation but truth. It is easy to whip a man when his hands are tied. It required little courage for these men of war to assail me while I was in office, and known to be forbidden by its rules to write or to speak in my own defence. They had everything their own way. Perhaps it was thought that I lacked the spirit or the ability to reply. On no other ground of assurance could there have been such loose and reckless disregard of easily ascertained facts to contradict them. It is also obvious that the respectability of the public journals, rather than the credibility of the writers themselves, was relied upon to give effect to their statements. Had they disclosed their names and their true addresses, the public could have easily divined a motive which would have rendered unnecessary any word of mine in self-defence it would have become evident, in that case, that there was a premeditated attempt to make me a scapegoat to bear off the sins of others. It may be noted, too, that prompt advantage has been taken of the fact that falsehood is not easily exposed when it has had an early start in advance of truth. As mindful of some things as they were, however, they forgot that innocence needs no defence until it is accused. The charge is that I have been the means of defeating the acquisition of an important United States naval station at the Molay Santé Nicolas. 
it is said in general terms that i had wasted the whole of my first year in haiti in needless parley and delay and finally reduced the chances of getting the mole to such a narrow margin as to make it necessary for our government to appoint rear admiral girardi as a special commissioner to haiti to take the whole matter of negotiation for the mole out of my hands one of the charitable apologies they are pleased to make for my failure is my colour and the implication is that a white man would have succeeded where i failed this colour argument is not new it besieged the white house before i was appointed minister resident and consul general to haiti at once and all along the line the contention was then raised that no man with african blood in his veins should be sent as minister to the black republic white men professed to speak in the interest of black haiti and i could have applauded their alacrity in upholding her dignity if i could have respected their sincerity they thought it monstrous to compel black haiti to receive a minister as black as herself they did not see that it would be shockingly inconsistent for haiti to object to a black minister while she herself is black prejudice sets all logic at defiance it takes no account of reason or consistency one of the duties of minister in a foreign land is to cultivate good social as well as civil relations with the people and government to which he is sent would an american white man imbued with our national sentiments be more likely than an american coloured man to cultivate such relations would his american contempt for the coloured race at home fit him to win the respect and good will of coloured people abroad or would he play the hypocrite and pretend to love negroes in haiti when he is known to hate negroes in the united states ay so bitterly that he hates to see them occupy even the comparatively humble position of consul-general to haiti would not the contempt and disgust of haiti repel such a sham haiti is no stranger to americans or to american prejudice our white fellow-countrymen have taken little pains to conceal their sentiments this objection to my colour and this demand for a white man to succeed me spring from the very feeling which haiti herself contradicts and detests i defy any man to prove by any word or act of the haitian government that i was less respected at the capital of haiti than was any white minister or consul this clamour for a white minister for haiti is based upon the idea that a white man is held in higher esteem by her than as a black man and that he could get more out of her than can one of her own colour it is not so and the whole free history of haiti proves it not to be so even if it were true that a white man could by reason of his alleged superiority gain something extra from the servility of haiti it would be the height of meanness for a great nation like the united states to take advantage of such servility on the part of a weak nation the american people are too great to be small and they should ask nothing of haiti on grounds less just and reasonable than those upon which they would ask anything of france or england is the weakness of a nation a reason for our robbing it are we to take advantage not only of its weakness but of its fears are we to wring from it by dread of our power what we cannot obtain by appeals to its justice and reason if this is the policy of this great nation i own that my assailants were right when they said that i was not the man to represent the united states in haiti i am charged with sympathy for haiti i am not ashamed of that charge 
but no man can say with truth that my sympathy with haiti stood between me and any honorable duty that i owed to the united states or to any citizen of the united states the attempt has been made to prove me indifferent to the acquisition of a naval station in haiti and unable to grasp the importance to american commerce and to american influence of such a station in the caribbean sea the fact is that when some of these writers were in their petticoats i had comprehended the value of such acquisition both in respect to american commerce and to american influence the policy of obtaining such a station is not new i supported general grant's ideas on this subject against the powerful opposition of my honored and revered friend charles sumner more than twenty years ago and proclaimed it on a hundred platforms and to thousands of my fellow-citizens i said then that it was a shame to american statesmanship that while almost every other great nation in the world had secured a foothold and had power in the caribbean sea where it could anchor in its own bays and moor in its own harbours we who stood at the very gate of that sea had there no anchoring ground anywhere i was for the acquisition of samana and of santo domingo herself if she wished to come to us while slavery existed i was opposed to all schemes for the extension of american power and influence but since its abolition i have gone with him who goes farthest for such extension but the pivotal and fundamental charge made by my accusers is that i wasted a whole year in fruitless negotiations for a coaling station at the mole santi nicolas and allowed favourable opportunities for obtaining it to pass unimproved so that it was necessary at last for the united states government to take the matter out of my hands and send a special commissioner to haiti in the person of rear admiral girardi to negotiate for the mole a statement more false than this never dropped from lip or pen i here and now declare without hesitation or qualification or fear of contradiction that there is not one word of truth in this charge if i do not in this state the truth i may be easily contradicted and put to open shame i therefore affirm that at no time during the first year of my residence in haiti was i charged with a duty or invested with any authority by the president of the united states or by the secretary of state to negotiate with haiti for a united states naval station at the mole santi nicolas or anywhere else in that country where no duty was imposed no duty was neglected it is not for a diplomat to run before he is sent especially in matters involving large consequences like those implied in extending our power into a neighbouring country here then let me present the plain facts in the case they better than anything else i can say vindicate my conduct in connection with this question on the twenty sixth of january eighteen ninety one rear admiral girardi having arrived at port-au-prince sent one of his under-officers on shore to the united states legation to invite me on board of his flagship the philadelphia i complied with the invitation although i knew that in strict politeness it would have been more appropriate for admiral girardi himself to come to me i felt disinclined however to stand upon ceremony or to endeavour to correct the manners of an american admiral having long since decided to my own satisfaction that no expression of american prejudice or slight on account of my colour could diminish my self-respect or disturb my equanimity i went on board as requested and there for the first time learned that i was to have some connection with the negotiations for a united states coaling station at the mole santi nicolas 
and this information was imparted to me by rear admiral gerardi he told me in his peculiarly emphatic manner that he had been duly appointed a united states special commissioner that his mission was to obtain a naval station at the mole santi nicholas and that it was the wish of mr blaine and mr tracy and also of the president of the united states that i should earnestly cooperate with him in accomplishing this object he further made me acquainted with the dignity of his position and i was not slow in recognizing it in reality some time before the arrival of admiral gerardi in this diplomatic scene i was made acquainted with the fact of his appointment there was at port-au-prince an individual of whom we shall hear more elsewhere acting as agent of a distinguished firm in new york who appeared to be more fully initiated into the secrets of the state department at washington than i was and who knew or said he knew all about the appointment of admiral gerardi whose arrival he diligently heralded in advance and carefully made public in all the political and business circles to which he had access he stated that i was discredited at washington had in fact been suspended and recalled and that admiral gerardi had been duly commissioned to take my place this news was sudden and far from flattering it is unnecessary to say that it placed me in an unenviable position both before the community of port-au-prince and before the government of haiti it had however the advantage so far as i was able to believe anything so anomalous of preparing me for the advent of my successor and of softening the shock of my fall from my high estate my connection with this negotiation as all may see was very humble secondary and subordinate the glory of success or the shame of defeat was to belong to the new minister i was made subject to the commissioner this was not quite so bad as the new york agent had prepared me to expect but it was not what i thought i deserved and what my position as minister called for at the hands of my government strangely enough all my instructions concerning the mole came to me through my newly constituted superior he was fresh from the face of our secretary of state knew his most secret intentions and the wants and wishes of the government and i naturally enough received the law from his lips the situation suggested the resignation of my office as due to my honour but reflection soon convinced me that such a course would subject me to a misconstruction more hurtful than any which in the circumstances could justly arise from remaining at my post the government had decided that a special commissioner was needed in haiti no charges were brought against me and it was not for me to set up my wisdom or my resentment as a safer rule of action than that prescribed by the wisdom of my government besides i did not propose to be pushed out of office in this way i therefore resolved to cooperate with the special commissioner in good faith and in all earnestness and did so to the best of my ability it was first necessary in furtherance of the mission of admiral gerardi to obtain for him as early as possible an interview with mr Furman, the haitian minister of foreign affairs and with his excellency florville hippolyte the president of haiti this by reason of my position as minister and my good relations with the government of haiti i accomplished only two days after the arrival of the admiral not even my accusers can charge me with tardiness in obeying in this or in anything else the orders of my superior in acting under him i put aside the fact of my awkward position in which the officious agent had placed me 
and the still more galling fact that the instructions i received had not reached me from the state department in the usual and appropriate way as also the fact that i had been in some degree subjected to the authority of an officer who had not like myself been duly appointed by the president and confirmed by the senate of the united states and yet one whose name and bearing proclaimed him practically the man having full command neither did i allow anything like a feeling of offended dignity to diminish my zeal and alacrity in carrying out his instructions i consoled myself with the thought that i was acting like a good soldier promptly and faithfully executing the orders of my superior and obeying the will of my government our first conference with president hippolyte and his foreign secretary was held at the palace of port-au-prince on the twenty eighth of january eighteen ninety one at this conference which was in fact the real beginning of the negotiations for the mole saint nicolas the wishes of our government were made known to the government of haiti by rear-admiral gerardi i must do him the justice to say that he stated the case with force and ability if anything was omitted or insisted upon calculated to defeat the object in view this defect must be looked for in the admiral's address for he was the principal speaker as he was also the principal negotiator admiral gerardi based our claim for this concession upon the ground of services rendered by the united states to the hippolyte revolution he claimed it also on the ground of promises made to our government by hippolyte and Furman through their agents while the revolution was in progress and affirmed that but for the support of our government the revolution would have failed i supplemented his remarks not in opposition to his views but with the intention of impressing the government of haiti with the idea that the concession asked for was in the line of good neighbourhood and advanced civilization and in every way consistent with the autonomy of haiti urging that the concession would be a source of strength rather than of weakness to the haitian government that national isolation was a policy of the past that the necessity for it in haiti for which there was an apology at the commencement of her existence no longer exists that her relation to the world and that of the world to her are not what they were when her independence was achieved that her true policy now is to touch the world at all points that make for civilization and commerce and that instead of asking in alarm what will happen if a naval station be conceded to the united states it should ask what will happen if such a naval station be not conceded i insisted that there was far more danger to be apprehended to the stability of the existing government from allowing the rumour to float in the air that it was about to sell out the country than by granting the lease of the mole and letting the country know precisely what had been done and the reasons in the premises for the same that a fact accomplished carries with it a power to promote acquiescence and i besought them to meet the question with courage in replying to us mr Furman demanded to know on which of the two grounds we based our claim for the possession of this naval station if it were demanded he said upon any pledge made by president hippolyte and himself he denied the existence of any such promise or pledge and insisted that while the offer of certain advantages had been made to our government the government at washington had not at the time accepted them the letter in proof of the different view was he said only a copy of the original letter and the original letter was never accepted by the american government this position of mr Furman's was resisted by admiral gerardi who contended with much force that while there was no formal agreement consummated between the two governments 
Haiti was nevertheless bound, since the assistance for which she asked had made Hippolyte president of Haiti, without intending to break the force of the admiral's contention at this point, I plainly saw the indefensible attitude in which he was placing the government of the United States, in representing our government as interfering by its navy with the affairs of a neighboring country, covertly assisting in putting down one government and setting up another. And I therefore adhered to the grounds upon which I based our demand for a coaling station at the Mole. I spoke in the interest and honor of the United States. It did not strike me that what was claimed by Admiral Girardi to have been done, though I did not say as much, is the work for which the United States is armed, equipped, manned, and supported by the American people. It was alleged that, though our government did not authorize Rear Admiral Girardi to overthrow Legitime and to set up Hippolyte as President of Haiti, it gave him the wink and left him to assume the responsibility. I did not accept this as a foundation upon which I could base my diplomacy. If this was a blunder on my part, it was a blunder of which I am not ashamed, and it was committed in the interest of my country. At the close of this conference we were asked by Mr. Furman to put into writing our request for the Mole, and the terms upon which we asked its concession. End of Part 3 Chapter 12